All right, so we're looking tonight, our text is Hebrews eleven twenty three through 40, and we're looking at faith, its triumphs and tragedies. In verses 23 to 40 here, the writer is still expounding on walking by faith. In the previous verses, in the last few weeks, the author gave us uh, details of the faith of Abraham and the patriarchs, and now he turns and focuses on the faith of Moses and others. Moses is important here because Moses is attached to the law, and the law was ceremonial. It was seen. Remember the definition of faith in verse 1 is that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So Abraham and the patriarchs lived before the law, and maybe the Hebrew Christians could see how they could live by faith. But Moses, he was the lawgiver. Could he have walked by faith too? And the others, they lived with the law. Could they have walked by faith too? So tonight we're going to look at the faith of Moses, verses 23 to 29, the faith of others, verses 30 through 39, and the faith of us, verse 40. The faith of Moses, verses 23 to 29, reads, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches and the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. Verse 23, we see that Moses' life began as an act of faith. His parents were Levites. They worshipped Jehovah, the God of Israel. And at his birth, by faith, They defied the king's edict to cast every Hebrew son born into the river as a form of controlling the Hebrew population. And you get that account in Exodus 1 and 2. By faith, they chose to obey God rather than man and were willing to face the consequences. And by faith, they trusted God to take care of their baby as they floated him down the Nile River. The faith of Moses' parents set off a series of events that eventually led to the rescue of the Israelites from the Egyptians and which led to the ordering of the nation under the law. In verses 24 through 29, we see that Moses made his decisions from faith. His faith is demonstrated by three key decisions that he made. First, he refused to go with the flow of a sinful society. Verses 24 and 25 tell us that by faith, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chose to suffer with his people instead of enjoying the pleasures of the sinful Egyptian lifestyle. And we have to remember that Moses was raised with the best that Egypt had to offer. He had the limitless wealth of Egypt within his reach. And maybe he wrestled with the tension between the royal Egyptian luxury and embracing his true identity as a Hebrew, as one of God's people. 
To embrace his true identity and heritage, it required faith, turning his back on the world of Egypt and all its material wealth and pleasures. By faith, Moses chose to go from the grandeur of the gold of Egypt to the ghettos of Goshen. He valued the worst aspect of the godly life more than the best the world had to offer. And his faith was evident by this act of his will, just like his parents. Verse 26 says that Moses chose the reproach of Christ over the treasures of Egypt. In other words, he was looking ahead to his great reward, which we now know is Jesus Christ as the Messiah. As the Messiah. He considered God's heavenly reward to be greater than even the wealth of Egypt. Second, Moses left the familiar Egypt to venture into an unknown. Verse 27 says that by faith he forsook Egypt. It was by faith that Moses led his people out of Egypt. This meant not only abandoning wealth and embracing poverty, but it also meant forsaking a familiar culture and language for a strange culture and language and leaving the only place he'd known to venture into an unknown land. Moses left everything familiar to him to obey God in the unknown. And by his decision of faith, Moses also went from the false religion of Egypt to the true religion or the true faith of the Israelites. The first part of verse 27 tells us that instead of backing down at the thought of Pharaoh's wrath, Moses stood firm. Luke 12, 4 and 5 tells us that Jesus said we're not to be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more, but we are to fear God who has the power to cast into hell. The last part of verse 27 gives us the reason Moses could abandon the familiar and wealth and embrace poverty, a new culture, and venture into the unknown and not fear the Pharaoh. The verse, the end of verse 27 says, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses endured all he went through as he left Egypt because he kept his focus on God who is unseen. And I like what Chuck Smith said about this. The men of faith always see more than those who rely on their natural intellect. And third, Moses was willing to humble himself and do whatever the Lord asked of him, even in the unusual, as with the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea. Verses 28 and 29. Now, Exodus chapter 12 gives us the full account of the Exodus. And basically, God told Moses to command the Israelites on the eve of their leaving Egypt to sacrifice a male lamb and with its blood paint the doorposts of their houses. Well, this was unusual for the Israelites, but God's instructions were for their protection. And in the final plague against Egypt, the Lord struck the firstborn of the Egyptians, but he passed over the houses of those who had the lamb's blood on their doorposts. And this is a great picture of the spiritual death that will come upon all who are not covered by the blood of the lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. And then there was the crossing of the Red Sea. And while it was God who split the waters of the Red Sea and allowed the Israelites to pass through, it took faith for Moses to lift up his rod in order for the waters to divide. And with the Egyptians pursuing from behind and the Red Sea in front, the people were freaking out. They were very afraid, and they cried out to the Lord, and then they got on Moses' case for bringing them out of Egypt. And I like Moses' reply in Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still 
and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And the word salvation here has the meaning of salvation by God, or deliverance, aid, or victory. I can say that I have seen the Lord part the waters of my fears and my cries to him. And I've seen him do the same for some of you. The Lord has taken care of situations that have no explanation but God. These resolutions have not been a coincidence or good luck or man's intellect. Only God working on our behalf, parting the waters. And as we walk by faith, we too might feel the tension between the ways of the world and the walk of faith. We will be faced with deciding between two paths. One will lead deeper into Egypt, a type of the world, and the other will lead toward the promised land, eternity with Jesus. And as we face these decisions, we need to turn our eyes away from what we see, the immediate pleasures of the world in our flesh, and look toward and focus on the promises of God with eyes of faith. Sometimes the Lord will allow us to get into places of testings and trials, and they can be very frightening. But it's in those impossible circumstances where we have nowhere to turn but to the Lord that God wants us to stand still and watch him work, and then we are to go forward in faith. And as we walk by faith, he will work. He will part the waters so that we may see his mighty hand and we may see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes the Lord may ask us to do something that doesn't make sense to those without eyes of faith. It may mean humbling ourselves and stepping out in faith, going or doing whatever God asks, even if it's the unusual. Moses' decisions became acts of faith because he had a deep trust in the character and the promises of the one true God. Moses, the lawgiver, was a man who demonstrated a life of faith. And as a result of Moses' faith, The people also trusted God as they followed him into the wilderness. As we walk our journey of faith, we will inspire others too. That can be good or that can be not good. It will depend on our decisions of faith. We will inspire others to either trust or not trust the Lord. And I had to think of the impact that we can have on our children and our grandchildren and the generations to come if the Lord tarries. We know that Egypt's a type of picture of the world, and we must all send our kids floating down the Nile at some point. We have to live in this world, and so do they. And at some point, we're going to have to let them go into this world. We can't keep them hidden all their lives. We will have to send off our children, trusting God for their walk with him and his will in their lives. But their walk of faith must begin with our walk of faith. Just as Moses' parents chose to obey God instead of man, so too must we. Acts 5.28 tells us that we ought to obey God rather than man. And what an awesome privilege to pass our faith in Jesus Christ onto our children and grandchildren as we love and obey God more than man and this world. And, And just think of the potential for them to become leaders like Moses as we raise them in the ways of the Lord. They will have a free will to choose to serve or not serve the Lord, but without our faith and our efforts to raise them in the ways of the Lord, they have no choice. 
Passing our faith onto our children can begin in the womb, as with Moses. If we have come to faith in Jesus Christ after our children have grown, we do have a second chance with our grandchildren. And if our grandchildren are already grown, it's never too late to pass on a heritage of faith in Jesus Christ. And how many of you have seen the movie? I can only imagine. It's incredible. Talk about a story of passing your faith on in the 11th hour. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go see it. Moses' decisions led to powerful triumphs and miracles, not only in his own generation, but also in generations to follow. So let's take a look at some of those in verses 30 through 39, the faith of others. Verse 30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Joshua 6 gives us the account of this miracle. Forty years after the miracle of the Red Sea, the Israelites finally crossed over the Jordan into the Promised Land, with Joshua now leading the people. And in order to take possession of the land promised to them since Abraham, and to rid the land of the wickedness, God told Joshua to follow some seemingly absurd instructions. And so now Joshua and the people are also faced with a decision of faith. They either follow God's instructions for toppling this wicked city, or they go back to the wilderness, across the Jordan, back to the familiar. And this was the same decision the Hebrew Christians were facing. Move forward by faith, or go back to what they knew. Christians today face the same decision. Continue forward with faith, or go back to the world, or the familiar, or our own understanding. While the Israelites embraced the commandments of God and they conquered the city of Jericho God's way. They marched around the city for seven days and they must have looked foolish to the Jericho citizens. God promised to deliver Jericho and faith in that promise led to their victory and their faith was rewarded. And I have no doubt that Moses' decisions of faith were a huge influence on the decision that Joshua and the people had to make at that point. They trusted in the Lord, and their confidence was in him, just like Moses. Verse 31 says, By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. So we come to an interesting figure here as an example of faith. Rahab the harlot. She's a heathen. And we read of her in Joshua 2 and 6, and she's the one person in Jericho who helped the Hebrew spies. Her faith was born out of believing the reports about the children of Israel and their God. And by faith, she believed that they would conquer mighty Jericho. She confessed to the spies her faith in the Lord in Joshua 2.11 when she said, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and earth beneath. It was by her faith that she wisely chose to align herself with God's people And she was miraculously delivered from God's judgment of Jericho. Joshua 6.23 tells us that her family came along with her. This tells us that her faith was inspiring and contagious. We also read of her in Matthew 1.5. She became the mother of Boaz, which made her the great-great-grandmother of King David. And ultimately, she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the fact that she's in the lineage of David and Jesus is proof that she was converted to faith in the one true God of Israel. It was by Rahab's faith that she and her family did not perish that day in Jericho, and and to this day she is an example of a wise woman of repentance and faith. 
The Lord's reply James 2.25, I have to back up here, tells us that her faith was manifested by her works when she hid the spies and she sent them out another way. Rahab is also presented in scripture as a model of hospitality, mercy, and patience in her interaction with Joshua's spies. And as a result of Rahab's example of faith, this former heathen harlot of Jericho is now remembered as a model of virtue and good works for all generations to follow. In verses 32 to 34, it reads, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, and also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens." So the writer now gives us a collage of thumbnail sketches of six men from the Old Testament who are examples of faith. The first is Gideon. We read his account in Judges 6 and 7. When the angel of the Lord first appeared to Gideon to call him to service, he was threshing wheat in the wine press because he was hiding from the Midianites who had the Israelites oppressed and impoverished. The angel called Gideon a mighty man of valor. Yet Gideon's response was, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon was at that point a coward, yet God was anticipating what Gideon would become by his faith. The Lord's reply was, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Gideon threw down the altar of Baal by night, and he defeated the Midianites with only 300 men. Gideon went from being a coward to a conqueror by faith in the Lord. Then you have Barak in Judges 4. He defeated Sisera with the help of two women, Deborah and Jael. Though Barak is listed as a man of faith here, He was a man who had to depend on Deborah for victory. He went from telling Deborah, you don't go with me, I'm not going. He went from that to leading 10,000 men in battle because he trusted in the promise of God given by Deborah. And whatever may have been Barak's weaknesses, God still honored his faith. And as we walk by faith, the Lord sees us for our potential in him, not for our weaknesses Then there is Samson in Judges 13 through 16. He slew 1,000 Philistines single-handedly with the jawbone of a donkey. He brought down the temple of Dagon onto the Philistines, and he died with them. Judges 16.30 says that he killed at his death more than than he had killed in his life. Jephthah in Judges 11, he was from Gilead. He was the illegitimate child of a harlot. His brothers kicked him out because they didn't want to share their father's inheritance with him. He was a social outcast. He was rejected by those closest to him. But he turned to the Lord who had become his closest friend, and this is what made him the man of faith that he was. In spite of his humble origins, he he attracted followers. He was eloquent in debate, and he had spirit-filled military mastery. He turned out to be the most gifted guy in the family. 
And as a result, the elders of Gilead asked for his help when the Amorites made war with Israel. What a great reminder that God chooses the weak and the foolish people of this world to shame the wise and the strong. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 29. God wants to use those who lack confidence in their own abilities to do his work because when we are weak, he is strong. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. We can learn from Jephthah's faith, faith that with the Lord's help, he made the most of his difficult situation. And God is still in the business of redeeming the lives of those born into difficult families or difficult situations. God, uh, when we are rejected on earth, we are still accepted in heaven through Jesus Christ. But while there were some great victories in his life, there was also some ugly blotches, and the worst being that of his untimely, foolish vow, which cost him greatly. He made an unnecessary vow to the Lord that if he returned in peace from battling with the Amorites, that whatever came out of the doors of his house to meet him, he would offer it up as a burnt offering. And uh, for those of you that went through First Samuel with us, or judges with us, um, will recall this. Jephthah returned victorious, and as he came to his house, his daughter was coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing. I just thought about that, with timbrels and dancing. I just thought of this cute little girl or young girl coming out dancing to meet her daddy, and she was his only child. Human sacrifice is never acceptable to God, and it's condemned throughout the Old Testament. The sanctity of human life should have overridden his foolish vow, God never intended for him to carry out this ball. And so walking by faith is not trying to manipulate God by these grandiose vows. He is the sovereign Lord who calls for our obedience and trust. There are no bargaining chips with the Lord. And as wise women of faith, let's be careful what we say at all times. It's very easy to rashly say something which we will later regret. Next, there's King David. I mean, what do you say about King David and all that he's done? How do you summarize that? But as a youth, he slew the bear and the lion, and later, possibly as a late teen, he slew Goliath. And as a man, he became a warrior and slew ten thousands, all with faith and confidence in the Lord. He had his falterings in life, but he was willing to repent and stay as close to the Lord as possible. And therefore, David's known as a man after God's own heart. First Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22 tells us that. And so the writer concludes these thumbnail sketches with Samuel and the prophets. Like Moses, Samuel's faith began from the womb. His mother, Hannah, was barren and poured out her heart as she prayed to the Lord for a son. And God honored her faith and gave her Samuel. Called by God as a child, Samuel was God's prophet from Dan to Beersheba, and he was also the last of Israel's judges. But he was bold enough to rebuke Saul and anoint David, all under divine direction. And Samuel is held in high esteem in the history of the Israelites. And so these sketches are examples of triumphs of faith. These were all victorious men. They weren't without their flaws, but they were men of faith. And the Jewish audience of Hebrews were very familiar with all these names and events. 
They were woven into the fabric of their history. And so now, in verses 35 to 39, the writer shifts gears to honestly portray some tragedies of those who walked in faith. Let's read verses 35 to 39. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. While some people were named in verses 32 to 34, in these verses here, these people are not named, yet all of these are among the hall of faith. And while some had some famous feats, there was never constant victory without struggle. We read here of some who had horrible tragedies. Some did not escape, but by faith they were given the grace to bear their suffering. And as we all know, our faith in Christ will not be without its trials and testings, and for some, even afflictions. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And 1 Peter deals extensively with suffering. And in our study guide, we read the encouragement of 2 Corinthians 4.17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The heathen world may have looked upon these heroes of faith as weirdos. But God says of them in verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Those who walked in faith and are pleasing to God will many times be displeasing to the world. We need to remember this is, we need to remember this so we're not so disturbed when the world rejects us. While these suffered punishments at the hands of unbelievers, they were assured a heavenly place in the heavenly kingdom, and so are we, Hebrews 11.13 tells us. These accounts of people of faith didn't end with their experiences. They continued in the history of Israel and in the pages of scripture for all to read. And today, these people of faith are an ever-living presence to help encourage us to walk by faith as they did. Verse 39 says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Each and every one of these received from God a good testimony of faith. And isn't that what we want to hear from the Lord? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enjoy, Enter into the joy of your Lord. Verse 39 tells us that while they did receive a good testimony, they died without receiving what was promised. And that was seeing the promised Messiah, which we know is Jesus Christ. God did fulfill many of his promises to them, but he reserved the one promise for a future time. He saved the best for last. And as they lived by faith, they looked into the distant future when the promise of perfection would finally be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. As Noreen said last week, they lived faithful lives in the present because they looked with faithful eyes into the future. 
So whether triumphs or tragedies, these verses, verses 30 through 39, speak of the courage of faith. And we saw a sharp contrast between the deliverance and the affliction of these people of faith. The entire cast of the Hall of Faith in chapter 11 here goes from the patriarchs to a prostitute and common people in between. And while they were all diversely different in their backgrounds and in their experiences, they all did have one thing in common. They had faith in the one true living God and faith in his word. These men and women of faith have died and they have gone on to their reward, but they're not lounging around in heaven strumming harps. They are the great cloud of witnesses surrounding us as in Hebrews 12.1. And as we carry on today, they encourage us to stand strong, to run the race of the life of discipline, diligence, and the hope of faith. And we actually have much in common with the Hall of Faith of Hebrews 11, which brings us to verse 40, the faith of us. Verse 40 reads, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. The word better here has the meaning of stronger, more useful, more profitable, and should be made perfect has the meaning to complete, consecrate, finish, fulfill, or accomplish by reaching the intended goal. In other words, the Mosaic law could not make perfect or or was not the perfect atonement. It was not once and for all. It required continual repeating of sacrifices. But through Jesus Christ, the atonement is now complete, fulfilled. It's accomplished. It is finished. The intended goal of God's has been reached. And this is what Jesus said as he hung on the cross and gave up his spirit. It is finished. John 19.30. God, again, did fulfill his promises, but he saved the best for last and for us. His plan for the Old Testament saints also includes New Testament Christians today who share in the new covenant through Jesus Christ. And as believers in Jesus Christ, our relationship with God is better. That's our key word, right? Better for all of Hebrews because we are now able to approach God through his son, who is the better priest, the better sacrifice, sanctuary, covenant, and all that we have been learning as we've been studying Hebrews. Like these heroes of faith, we too will have mountaintop triumphs and some tragedies in the valley of despair. Our faith will be tested and tried, and we will need to make decisions out of faith and courage like Moses and the others. And we are assured that we too can endure the trials of life as we walk with God in faith because God has given us something better, a relationship with Jesus Christ. But our faith doesn't end with triumphs or tragedies. These aren't the end of our story. Our faith will continue after we step off this earth and enter into eternity with Jesus Christ. As wise women of faith, we must remember that there may be times when we might stumble and fall, but we will get back up. We may have lingering doubts or times of unbelief. We at times may fail our friends, our family, or other believers. We may waver in our hope of God's promises. We may back down when we should stand up. We may lose hope when we should look to the Lord. And when we go through these times, we need to hold on to the truth that our life of faith It really isn't our struggle or fight. It's God's battle. 
Second Chronicles 20:15, the middle part says, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Our Christian faith is in God himself. Faith in God as a living person through Jesus Christ and faith in what he says in his word. These are the stable and dependable guides for our walk of faith. And God is always faithful to his people, even when we blow it. And the history of Israel confirms this. It confirms his faithfulness even when they blew it. And all we need to do is bow before him in humility, in faith, trusting him. We have God's promise that he will never leave us or forsake us, and we can expect God to keep his promises. So in conclusion, Moses was a man who accomplished everything by faith. He made decisions of faith that affected not only the course of his own life, but the course of the history of God's people and for generations to follow. The faith of others included triumphs and tragedies. Some went from being cowards to conquerors. Others died horrible deaths but all endured because they focused on the future promise and trusted God and his word. And as a result, they received the courage to move forward, to press on, to endure all that came upon them in life, some to the point of death. And as we walk by faith, we are to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, because Jesus is better. He is the complete fulfillment, the accomplishment of God. And as we trust and obey the Lord and his word, like Moses and the others, one question remains, what will your faith do for you?